Welcome to High Performance Mindset with Dr. Sindra Kampoff. Do you want to reach your full potential, live a life of passion, go after your dreams? Each week, we bring you strategies and interviews to help you ignite your mindset. Let's bring on Sindra. Welcome to the High Performance Mindset Podcast. This is your host, Sindra Kampoff, and I'm grateful that you're here, ready to listen to episode 213 with Jen Schumacher. Now, the goal of these interviews is to learn from the world's best leaders, athletes, coaches, and consultants all about the topic of mindset to help us reach our potential or be high performers in our field or sport. Now, typically with two episodes weekly, we explore everything related to mindset, You can learn secrets from a world-class consultant, coach, speaker, entrepreneur, or leader each week, or listen to me provide a short, powerful message to inspire you to be at your best consistently. Now, if you know that your mindset is essential to your success, then this is the podcast for you. Now, before I head over to interview Jen, I'm going to go over to iTunes and read a rating and a review. And this one is from... The Food Healers Podcast, so another podcast, and uh, The Food Healers Podcast said, Episodes of Pure Gold. I'm always working on my mindset and love Dr. Sindra's approach. She interviews a variety of people each week, athletes, doctors, speakers, and coaches, which makes her episodes much more relatable to all of you. She truly has something for everyone. And The Food Healers Podcast particularly loved the episode on fear, courage, and stress with Dr. McLaughlin. And they end with, I look forward to much more episodes. So thank you so much, Food Healers Podcast. I super appreciate the rating and review over on iTunes. And if you enjoyed today's episode, you can uh, head over wherever you're listening to it, iHeartRadio, Stitcher Radio, iTunes, and leave a rating and a review. And I will read yours next time. All right, so let's talk a little bit about Jen Schumacher. One of the reasons I titled this podcast Becoming One with a Shark is because literally she explains her experience of swimming several miles with a shark and how her skills and mental performance really helped her do that. So it's fascinating. So I can't wait to hear what you think about her story. So let me tell you a little bit about Jen. She is a performance psychology instructor at the Center for Enhanced Performance at the United States Military Academy, where she works with cadets and teams on the psychological aspects of elite performance. She also works with cadets on the mental aspects during the survival swim course, where she incorporates virtual reality training alongside the workshops, which is something we talk about in today's episode. She also operates a private practice where she works individually with elite and club athletes, marathon swimmers, and executives. And in addition to performance psychology, her other passion is marathon swimming. She has completed two Catalina Channel crossings, the 28-mile length of the LA Bay, which is amazing, the Manhattan Island Marathon Swim, and several other races and channel swim relays. So she credits much of her athletic success to her experiences working with and learning about the mental aspects of performance. Jen earned her master's degree in sports psychology from California State University Fullerton, studying under Dr. Ken Revisa, which I've had on the podcast several times. She's also a certified mental performance consultant through the Association for Applied Sports Psychology, and she is working on her PhD in health and human performance. 
So there's lots of things I enjoyed about today's episode. I definitely (laughs) enjoyed her story about swimming with a shark and how she became grateful while swimming with a shark. So it's really fascinating and I think you'll learn a lot about how you can switch these moments of adversity into gratitude. She talks about how she uses Ken Revis's three R's in her marathon swimming and something that she teaches. She talks about the difference between offensive and defensive self-talk and how we can use both. The four P's of self-talk and then specifically how we can overcome fear. She talks about how she uses fear statements to really address the fear that she experiences. So I know you're going to get a lot out of this interview. I look forward to hearing what you think. And my favorite quote from this interview is this, we need multiple diverse sources of confidence. Thank you so much, Jen, for coming on the podcast today. And if you enjoyed today's episode, you can head over to Twitter and join the conversation there. Let Jen and I know what you enjoyed about this interview or what you took from it. And I'm at mentally underscore strong and Jen is at channel swim Jen. All right, without further ado, let's bring on Jen Schumacher. Jen, welcome to the High Performance Mindset. I'm super pumped to have you on and talk to you more about your work and share your work with the world. So how's it going today? Good. Thank you, Sandra. I'm super stoked to be on the podcast. And um, yeah, things are going well. Thanks for having me on. You bet. So we got to see each other last weekend at the Association for Applied Sports Psychology Conference. So amazing conference. And what I'd love for you to do, Jen, just to start us off is like, tell us a little bit about your passion and what you're doing right now. Okay, absolutely. Yeah, man, the conference is awesome. And it's always so invigorating to be there with with you and with all of our our peers in the field and just learn from everybody that's doing awesome things. So my passion is applied sport and performance psychology. Um, I I studied at Cal State Fullerton under Dr. Ken Revisa and just absolutely fell in love with the work and primarily because I saw such a huge influence in my own swimming career, which is my other passion. (laughs) I do long, long distance open water marathon swimming which is a bit of a mouthful, so I usually just call it marathon swimming. But I'm really passionate about those two things and and especially kind of where they intersect. So I do, in my applied practice, I do some work with marathon swimmers, but right now I'm primarily at West Point. I'm a performance psychology instructor here um, and have been for almost two years now. So I've just been absolutely having a blast working with the cadets and learning from the folks here on staff and and just being exposed to, to performance psychology in this environment. And then, of course, still continuing to explore it in my own personal life. So, yeah, yeah I guess my, my two passions break down to that, performance well, psych and marathon swimming. We're going to have a lot to talk about. <laughs> so maybe <laughs> let's start and, and tell us a little bit about, like, you know, marathon swimming. Tell us a little bit yeah. about how you got into that and, and why marathon swimming. Okay. Man, that's, that's a good question. I mean, a lot of people say why not in, in our sport, but... I got into it, well, it's sort of a long roundabout story, but the, the short of it is, is I was never a very fast pool swimmer. I walked on at UCI and just barely squeaked my way on the team and then was plagued with injuries my first year, ultimately ended up leaving the sport of competitive pool swimming and pursued my uh, academic passions at Cal State Fullerton where there's no swim team. When it was time for me to kind of get back into swimming and, and I really fell back in love with the sport. I had to get creative in, in the absence of a swim team, so I turned to open water and, and got really into what I would call like short to mid-range distance uh, open water swims, like one mile, five Ks and 10 Ks. I had a friend at the time that was on the same swim team, the same master's team that I was on, and he was training to do a marathon swim. He was training to swim from Catalina Island, 
in uh, my hometown of, of Southern California. So I got really curious. It had been something I'd heard about since I was a kid and, and sort of I, I assumed that people that did that swim were like the people of legends, like superhumans that would do this. And, you know, as a kid, we used to go out to the island and my dad would show us a stretch of water and talk a little bit about the history and the people that have swum across. And here I was training in the pool next to this guy that was getting ready to do it himself. And he was just a regular guy like me. So I, you know, got really involved with his training and uh, crewed for him and, and did some long distance swims with him. I ended up doing actually the first two hours of the swim in the dark with him because you start that swim at midnight. Meanwhile, I was also in school studying sports psychology at Cal State Fullerton and seeing the impact of that on, on my training and, and on his performance, too. There were some really interesting moments during the swim where, where he had some challenges and I was a support swimmer in the water and, and kind of doing that in the moment. Like, you know, brief contact intervention was one of the topics from, from the conference. And, yes. you know, I was getting firsthand experience of like how that played out in the water and, and really just opened my eyes to, you know, how the power of the mind affects our performance. Mm. Um, and then he finished and, and, you know, it wasn't necessarily the prettiest thing, but I was just, it was, I was completely wrapped up in like the romanticism of that huge, big endurance feat. And uh, there's no coaches in the sport of marathon swimming. It's pretty niche. So you kind of find mentors and he had this mentor that, you know, I struck up a conversation with him and, and basically by the time we were back to the dock in, um, in Long Beach, I'd convinced him to take me on to swim it next year. And so that was in 2008. So I swam it in 2009. I spent a year training and preparing, doing a lot of cold water swimming, doing a lot of long distance swimming. Okay. And in August of 2009, I did my first, uh, my first channel swim, which was Catalina. Yeah. Um, and you were the first and, fastest yeah. female at that time. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Uh, so of that summer, not, not, that wasn't a record, but for that summer it was, yeah, the fastest female time. So what do you think that it takes? You know, one of the things that whenever I see you at ASP that I like love about just watching you is, you know, you go and you find these people to swim with and these open waters, you know, so it might be <laughs> at Hawaii or, you know, this year we were in Toronto or wherever it is. Mm -hmm. So what do you think it takes in terms of a, you know, the mindset? And I know you kind of said that you attribute much of your success in marathon swimming to like your mental game, right? And working on that and in terms of, you know, like learning yeah. about that at Cal State Fullerton and, and now obviously what you do, but tell us what do you think that takes in terms of the mindset or, you know, the mental edge? Tell us what, what that might take just in terms of you're out there in open water, cold water, anything can bother you in terms of fish or sharks or whatever. Yeah. So what do you mm -hmm. take from a mental standpoint? Oh man, that's a great question. Um, yeah, I've, I've had some fun adventures around Ask conferences this year, uh, swimming with the Toronto Open Water Swim Group in Lake Ontario, and last year with uh, Lucky's Leaps Lake Swim in, in this random lake in Florida, it was pretty awesome. <laughs> Amazing! Uh, and like everyone at the conference is like, "Aren't you worried about alligators? Aren't you worried about water quality?" And, um, yeah, to an extent, but there are also more dangerous things that I think we, as as humans, engage in on a day to day basis. I mean, take yeah. driving for example, um, without much much thought for the risk and the consequences. So. You know, one thing I really learned in my studies was the importance of understanding why you do what you do mm -hmm. and finding, finding meaning 
in in the task at hand. And and that to me has always been something so valuable and, and just really a gift that my mentors at Fullerton gave me about like getting in touch with the why. Yeah. And to me, like my why with marathon swimming has always been uh, really threefold. One, it's it's just this connection with movement and this sort of meditative state that you get into of just being totally absorbed in the movement and I think you know night swimming is the perfect example of this where there's complete sensory deprivation you're just into the movement and the sound of it and the breathing pattern and and you're you know you can sometimes even hardly tell whether the black you're seeing is the sea or the air I mean it's it's just totally um, immersive in the moment because there's nothing else that you can do. Um, so to me, that's more of like a moving meditation and, and this really deep connection with mm. the activity itself is one mm. of my whys. And I would say another is being able to be in that place, like being exposed to that, that water, that, that just that different perspective and different environment that I'm, I'm well aware and keenly aware through my experiences teaching beginning swimming at Fullerton and, and through working with survival swimming classes here at West Point that not everybody has the skill set that I feel extremely fortunate and grateful to my parents for having that I get to see the shoreline from the perspective of being a quarter mile offshore, or I get to see the Manhattan skyline during a long distance swim that goes right by, you know, some of the major iconic buildings there. Like those are some perspectives that not everybody gets. And then there's the wildlife portion of it where you get to see a lot of marine life that, you know, a lot of people just simply don't get the exposure to unless they go to, you know, SeaWorld. So to me, just being immersed in that unique environment is number two. And then my third meaning piece of this is the community and the connections I've made through the sport and, and just being able to go and travel, travel the country and in some cases travel around the world and, and meet people that have this similar interest and, and just like lust for adventure, I guess I would call it, has been a really meaningful elements of, of why I do what I do. So I, I try to keep that in mind. And then I weigh that against the consequences and risk that's associated with some of these swims, because that's important too. And I, I don't yeah. like to discount that. But yeah, to me, it's always, it's, it's about making a carefully calculated judgment about do the benefits outweigh the risk and the okay. benefits, you know, really stem from that why. Yeah. I think that we can learn a lot from what you just said. Kind of first, what I'm hearing you you do is like normalize the fear. You know that, you know, well, you know, you might have the same risks in terms of if you're driving from place to place in in a city, right? Mm -hmm. But also the second thing is that you're balancing, you know, the, this weight of the consequences versus the risks. And obviously your why is pretty strong. You're pretty clear on that. Mm-hmm. I think we can all connect to that, you know, when we think about why do we do what we do and, and making sure that we're connecting with that every day. You know, Jen, what else do you think in terms of like, what are some really important mental tools or mental skills that you think, you know, long distance marathon swimmers would need to understand? Oh man, that's, that's good. I mean, all of them. <laughs> I know, is this true? No. Right. But yeah, no, I, I think a big part of the mental game of marathon swimming is about just having robust coping skills because as much as we'd like to get into the zone and to be confident mm-hmm. and feel great at all times, and, and certainly that's mm-hmm. something that, you know, we work on trying to get into those optimal states of functioning. And, and we talk mm-hmm. about that a lot here with cadets too there's going to be times during the swim or entire swims itself that just are not going well or according to plan. So you better have something to go to. 
So I have a lot of refocusing routines, uh, very similar to the Revisa R's. I've just kind of boiled it down to a more continuous and nonstop sport where I call it the three R's, recognize, release, and refocus, you know, sort of similar to learn, burn, and return. Yeah. But the idea, yeah, the idea is figure out like, okay, become aware of, of what's going on, you know, check in with your signal lights. Are you having a yellow light or a red light moment or even swim if it's the entirety of it? Try to get to the bottom of like, why? Was it a fear that set off that feeling of panic or was it a frustration with say another swimmer or a, a contextual situation that's causing some frustration and tightness in the stroke? But we've got to be able to recognize where we're at. And then if we recognize and we've got some tension or doubt or negative thinking, then being able to release that um, is, is so key. And so I like to do that either through like a deep exhale or strong exhale. You can't really do much strong, deliberate inhaling while you're swimming, but you can certainly <laughs> focus on the exhale. And, and to me, that's a good symbol for releasing. Um, or perhaps at the next feed, so we call it feeds every 30 minutes, you stop and tread water for hopefully less than 30 seconds. And while when I entered the sport of marathon swimming, people thought it was sort of a sign of being a novice. I used to always put my goggles on my forehead during my feeds where you tread water and take in nutrition. Um, But in my mind, that was a way of releasing. It was a way of letting go of that last 30 minute segment. And then when I put the goggles back on my eyes, that's a symbol for refocusing what's important now and getting back into okay, this is how I want this next 30-minute segment to go. So I like kind of using cheesy symbols like that for recognize, release, and refocus, but essentially it's about being aware by recognizing and then releasing, letting go of what you don't have control over and then refocusing on what's important now. And do you think the refocus, okay, so the refocus would be what's important now. So I hear what you're saying. Mm -hmm. And then is it refocusing on, like you give us a little bit more examples or you know, for you, what then the refocus is, what are you going to focus on? What's important for you at that? Well, I think it's always got to come back to the performance and the task at hand. And if we think about like our best experiences in performance, we're almost always completely present and absorbed in the moment. So connecting that, that refocus or that attention to the task relevant cue in any performance is so key. So I like the acronym, what's important now, which you know, yeah. when, what's important now, um, might be familiar to some of the listeners. I like that because it, it, it reminds me that I need to figure out, like, what do I most need to pay attention to at this moment in order to perform at my best? And it's probably not beating myself up over something that already happened. And it's probably not how I wish the weather conditions were better on this particular swim, right? It's probably something having to do with my stroke or my rhythm. Maybe it's a confident thought that I repeat to myself like a keyword or phrase like I get to be here. I use that one a lot because, you know, marathon swimming is not the the cheapest sport out there. And so I spend a lot of time and resources doing this. And so sometimes I have to remind myself of that. Like I I get to be here. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes the refocus is on my stroke technique so that I can make sure that I'm keeping my elbow high, getting a good catch on the water and, you know, protecting my shoulders from, from wear and tear. And then I think my favorite refocus is on like the rhythm and the sound that the rhythm of my stroke makes. Cause to me, that just absolutely connects me with the present moment. 
Mm. It reminds me of what Eric Lindro said at the sports psychology conference. So he's one of our keynoters and he said like after he made a mistake and he was pretty honest, you know, he said like, I've made some doozies, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, it was really hilarious. And then he said, you know, what he did is he refocused on like his task at hand, right? He focused on what he needed to do to kind of get out of his head. And he, if you don't know who he is, you know, and the listeners, you yeah. know, 14, 14 years in NHL and the Hockey Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, yeah, that's I'm hearing great. a lot of like similar things to you is that, you know, to, to refocus that you thought about your technique or, you know, use these confident mm-hmm. phrases, but, you know, just getting out of your head and letting go of what just happened. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't, I definitely want to talk more about the fear and the survival piece of swimming, particularly because you're way out there in the water, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, you know, but, but I want to also ask you, Jen, a little bit about your work at West Point. So, um, okay. yeah, so tell us a little bit about what your day-to-day is there. And then, you know, how about let's work to connect the two, your work at West Point versus, you know, compared to marathon swimming, but tell us a little bit about your work at West Point right now. Sure. Okay. So um, I'm a performance psychology instructor in the Center for Enhanced Performance, um, or the CEP here at West Point. Um, and for those who are not familiar with West Point, it's, it's the U.S. Military Academy. So cadets will apply, and, or, or students apply, and, and they become cadets. They have a 47-month experience here that involves basic training and then four years of uh, academic study in which they earn their, their bachelor's degree, and they also become second lieutenants in the U.S. Army upon graduation and commissioning. It's quite a rigorous experience because every cadet's an athlete. So, you know, whether they're a division one athlete or an intercollegiate, or sorry, that is intercollegiate, they might be a division one athlete or a club athlete or someone that participates in company athletics. We have those three tiers of participation. So they really truly are student athletes that, oh, by the way, also have what sometimes feels like a full-time job of, of military training. They're incredibly busy and under a lot of pressure, but uh, rightly so because they're going into a job that involves a lot of pressure and, and where your performance matters. So what we do at CEP is, is provide them with the skills and support that is necessary to not just survive, but thrive at this place. So a typical day, I'm often asked about what's a typical day. I would, I would hesitate to say that there is one, but I would say most days, I come in and meet with maybe three or four, maybe even five cadets before lunch. So we do appointment-based mental skills training or performance psychology training. Cadets can come in on their off hours and schedule appointments with myself or any of the other trainers here. Um, And so we'll do, you know, 20, 30, 40 minute discussions about where they're at and working on different mental skills. We generally cover the five core mental skills that are a part of our model here, confidence, energy management, attention control, imagery, and goal setting. And then, a, you know, several other things that fall into those categories or are, are related. We'll probably, you know, teach a class or two, depending on what day it is and what time of the year it is. Uh, I'm the course director for PL360, which is our 300 division, 300 level course. And it's called the Psychology of Elite Performance, but that's only in the spring. So in the fall, we're just doing freshman seminar courses uh, right now. So we'll teach a class and then perhaps have a team that comes in during the lunch hour, maybe one or two more individuals after that, and then we go out to work with teams or attend practice and chat with coaches. So that's a pretty typical day when we're here, but we usually try our best to get on the road a couple of times a season with with each of our primary teams. 
Yeah, nice. So a couple of follow-up questions I'd have for that, Jen. Like, tell us a little bit about the specific mm-hmm. sports that you work with there then. Yeah, so right now I've got baseball, softball, swimming and diving, men's gymnastics, women's basketball, and women's volleyball on my plate um, as far as D1 sports. And then I also do a bit of work with men's volleyball and triathlon, which are, are competitive club sports. Nice, nice. So yeah. when you think about, you know, the, the cadets that you're seeing and the teams that you're working with, and we can talk about it in a lot of different ways, mm-hmm. but what do you see kind of the best doing there, you know, in terms of the, the mental skills that they use? And so, you know, we could talk about within the military and military performance, or we could talk about within mm-hmm. sport, you know, maybe, maybe tell us what your observations there. What do you see that the best do differently from a mental standpoint? Man, that's a good question, too. Uh, The best have really, really strong performance routines. So they they have excellent time management skills, of course, and they're they're getting a lot of sleep compared to the average cadet, which is anywhere from five to six hours, which is atrocious. Uh, But the best of the best are really, really present-minded in whatever they're doing. So when they're in class, they're in class. When they're at practice, they're at practice. When they're studying during evening study period they're doing that it's called ESP so when you're at ESP you're doing ESP and that kind of allows them to to be in the right place at the right time and then they have really strong like transitioning routines I like to talk a lot about like segmentation or or the changing of the clothes as a way to mentally park the academic self and then put on the athletic self and that's a symbol for letting go of the academic day and then becoming the athlete and the nice thing here is they have a uniform for everything that they do. And so it really kind of anchors that mindset to that, you know, that outfit for that activity. And then they do other things to kind of get their minds in the right space for that practice or that class or that presentation, whatever it is that they're about to do. A lot of them employ the use of daily goals. So okay. like positive process oriented goals that they set before a practice or a class and then reflect on afterwards as a way to kind of keep accountable and, and keep getting lessons learned out of what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one thing that I see differentiate some of the most successful from, from the ones that struggle a bit more. Okay. And then I would say another key thing comes down to uh, just confident and effective thinking. And I've seen that, I think, maybe a little bit more here than I did in uh, at my work at Cal State Fullerton. And perhaps that's a function of Gosh, everybody here, Syndra, is really, really talented. They're the brightest. They're the most athletic. They're the strongest leaders. They they were big fish in small ponds. <laughs> mm. And now they're all here. And it's probably the first time, for many of them, the first time that they're getting some feedback that maybe they're not all that great. And, and maybe they're not the best at everything, you know. So a lot of them get their first you know, what they might consider a bad grade here. A lot of them, you know, experience their first time of not starting here. So that can, that can really influence confidence levels, especially if you didn't learn growing up that we need to have multiple and diverse sources of confidence and we can't just be confident when we're successful. Um, so we, we try to teach them, um, you know, different strategies for building and maintaining really robust confidence. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that I've learned a lot here from our program and working with with Doc Z, with Nate Zinser, who runs our performance psychology program, is the importance of confident and effective thinking strategies and how that how that affects the way we perform. 
So Jen, one question I'd have from that, I like what you said about multiple mm -hmm. and diverse sources of confidence. So, mm -hmm. you know, tell us a bit about where are those different sources of confidence typically, you know, so we can be thinking about ourselves, you know, how we might build mm -hmm. our own confidence and then, you know, how you think or how you might teach kind of this, this confidence effective thinking. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I think, you know, at least for myself and I think for a lot of people that I've talked to, not just here at West Point, but other performers, we kind of grow up with this perception that we gain confidence from winning, from personal records, from beating other people, and from being told that we're good at what we do. Um, and that's great, and we might build a tremendous amount of confidence from all of those things, but the problem with that is it's fragile because they're not controllable sources of confidence. Yeah. Um, we can't control the outcome, we can't control what other people tell us, and we certainly can't control, you know, our opponents. Yeah. So all those things eventually are challenged. And if those are the only sources we're drawing confidence from, then we end up with very low levels of confidence. Now, that's not to say that we can't perform if we're not feeling confident. I think that confidence is important, but it's not everything. And there is a lot of work that we'll do in terms of teaching cadets that, hey, you know, you can feeling great, right? You can have a good, crappy day. Um, <laughs> Yeah. That sounds like another... right there, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. I, yeah. I hear his voice all the time. Um, but absolutely. I mean, we don't have to feel great to perform well, but it certainly helps. And, and when we can control what we're saying to ourselves day in, day out, then I think we owe it to ourselves to give ourselves the best chance at, at confident thinking because we know that that relates directly in a lot of cases and in a lot of the research is a strong relationship between confidence and success. Um, so some of the strategies that we'll use for more controllable and diverse sources of confidence are, uh, you know, what you're saying to yourself all the time. We focus a lot on self-talk and we teach the use of affirmations, um, and we create scripts that remind athletes that, you know, they're good at what they do. They've put in the work, uh, and they're here for a reason. Mm. So we cover, we cover that as, as more of a way of, I would, you know, I, I like Doxy's metaphor of that's, that's offensive self-talk or you're on offense. And when you're on defense, you've already been maybe saying terrible things to yourself and beating yourself up a bit. And we got to talk back to that voice, maybe use a thought stopper or perhaps rationalize the negative thinking. And, and that's more defensive self-talk. So I, I like to think of it in those two categories that, that both areas are important and, and we got to work on them and have plans for both. So it's not enough to say, okay, I'll use a thought stopper one day when, um, you know, a lot of my work with cadets is, okay, what are our plans for when things aren't going well? What are the contingency plans or our if then statements, which gosh, I, I love talking about if then statements cause I'm a big technology nerd. My dad was in it. Um, but nowhere have I had as much success relating if-then statements as I have here at West Point because they all have to take IT. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's, it's fun. They, they immediately get it. Um, you know, we got to have if-then statements for performance too. If this mm. happens, then I do X, Y, or Z. Can you give us an example of a script that maybe you've helped someone, you know, make? And I'm thinking about, sure, we're not West Point cadets, but, you know, all of these mm -hmm. strategies and tools are things that we can use in our own life and not just as athletes. But, you know, you think about the, the military and cadets, I mean, they perform not just in sport, but in, you know, in 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 their job. Maybe there's a better word than that, but that's kind of what I'm thinking. So, yeah, give us an example, Jen. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, we'll often start or anchor the activity with either uh, like goal setting or uh, different categories of performance, right? So if, if we look at what someone's goals are for the season or if we look at, you know, what they're on a mission to accomplish, okay, what are the, what are the elements of performance that are required for that? So, you know, let's say, I don't know, let's take a swimmer, for example, just because that's my background and I tend to come up with swimming examples a bit more easily. But let's say we have someone who's working on making the Patriot League travel squad or maybe someone that wants to podium at the Patriot League championship meet, you know, both not totally controllable. So, you know, we try to root that in the process. Okay, what are the categories of performance that you have to take care of in order to do that? And perhaps they come up with, um, you know, I have to work on stroke technique. I have to work on like work, work ethic in the pool. I need to work on, you know, weightlifting. I want to, you know, increase muscle mass. Uh, maybe I also need to work on recovery, nutrition, uh, just sort of like a wellness category. And then maybe I also want to work on toughness. I want to work on my mental game. And so for each of those, we'll figure out, okay, what are the specific things you need to do? And then write affirmations about those. So if let's say this, this swimmer wants to work on, on their mental game and practice or work, wants to work on their work ethic and practice, we'll write affirmations just one after another and read them into a script. So things like, I don't need to feel great to swim fast uh, or my underwaters, my, dolph- my underwater dolphin kicks are my secret weapon or whenever it's close, I get my hand on the wall first. So those are, you know, some powerful informations targeting like work ethic when we're not feeling well, a skill set that they're working on, and then a mentality about being competitively minded, uh, relative speaking. And we might just list off, you know, a dozen affirmations or two dozen for each of those categories and, and then record it, set it to music that they enjoy. And that's something that they can listen to and take with them on the road. Ah, love it. And do you record or do they record the statements? So either I'll record it or we'll have one of our one of our wonderful intern staff uh, members record it. Generally speaking, at least, I don't know about you, I, I don't love listening to my own voice. Yes. Um, and I, I always give the cadets the option, but I have not yet had, had one of them take me up on them using our recording studio to, to use their own voice. <laughs> And so, what did they say yeah. in terms of like the power? Because what I'm what I'm hearing is these statements are really process focused, not outcome, right? And and it's also right. yeah. becomes like who you are, right? Because kind of one of the things I talk mm-hmm. about is like you never outperform your self image. So if it's like you're mm-hmm. you're mm-hmm. saying, you know, whenever it's close, I'm going to get my hand on the wall first, right? Like right. you're telling yourself who you are and yeah. that you're gritty, that you're going to push it at the end, right? When it comes mm-hmm. down. to going to be the one and uh yeah, yeah. it's really mm-hmm. powerful yeah yeah I mean I, I think of just an example that happened a few weeks back where we're sitting here working with with a swimmer coincidentally on this on the same thing and through just kind of exploring what was going on at some point he you know mentioned you know quite off offhand and not really intending to be so revelatory he said something along the lines of you know just feeling like he's always going to get out touch like he always just knows he'll get out touch and I just paused and I was like did you hear that because yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure there was even an awareness that he had this fixed belief about it and so we wrote that into the script like you know I win the close ones and just starting to to constantly erode that 
that previous undermining belief. I, I love that. You're never going to outperform your self-image. That's so true because, you know, mm-hmm. he was sort of setting himself up to be outtouched every time. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Right. And then that's who he becomes. So Jen, what would you tell us in terms of like, let's say we want to write our own, right? We might not be athletes, but let's say we're mm-hmm. a leader, a CEO, or let's mm-hmm. say, you know, we are in college. <laughs> and, yeah. And so, yeah. You know, I don't think it matters what, how you perform. So tell us, you know, what would be sort of like maybe your guidance on um, how, Mm -hmm. you know, what would you tell us on what to do? Hmm. Well, I guess I'd start is figure out like, what's, what's the mission? What are you working towards? Like, what's the best version of, of what you're, what you're on a path uh, to becoming. Right. And then, you know, whether that's looking kind of deeply at your own performances and where the areas for improvement lie or looking to someone that's really, really excellent, or, or many people that are really excellent in that, in that performance, what are the elements that they take care of? Like whether that's physical, tactical, um, strategic, mental, right? Or, or maybe there's other elements that they're, they're including in their performance. Like if it's, if it's baseball or softball, like you know, working on offense, defense, mindset, and recovery perhaps. And then within each of those categories of performance, just start writing out affirmations. And affirmations are really tough at first if you're not used to this or if you don't have a practice of doing it. But, but we, you know, here at CEP, we, we give guidance on using the four Ps. Affirmations should be present, like they, they're worded in the present tense. They are positive. They're personally meaningful. And they're powerful. So, you know, a couple of examples of where folks maybe – right, less than effective affirmation statements are saying, like, I will do this, right? So I will focus on recovery, or I will sleep eight hours a night. Well, that's great. But will in, implies in the future. And in the future, mm. it lets you off the hook for tonight. Mm. Right? If, if you if you were to write, like, I sleep eight hours every night, I'm in bed no later than 10pm. Uh, that sort of puts a little bit more skin in the game. And you read that, or you hear it played back to you. And you're like, Oh, I guess I better go to sleep. Uh, tonight at that time, right? Instead of, okay, this is something I'm working towards. So sometimes that's tough because, you know, occasionally we'll get the question like, well, but if I'm not an A student yet, then why should I write I'm an A student in my affirmation script, you know, because I'm not there yet. And and we just reiterate, like, if, if that's something you're on the path towards doing, then just reminding yourself that you are an A student makes you more likely to engage in the types of behaviors that get you there. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't also focus on the behaviors that get you there, right? If you're going to throw down something big like that, and let's say you're far away, let's say you've got a 3.0 and, and you want to be an A student. Yeah, you can write, a, you know, I'm an A student, but then we also need some affirmations about the things that you do and the behaviors you engage in to get you there. Otherwise, we're overlooking, I think, the most crucial step, which is uh, the process. Mm, outstanding. Really good. Good, good. I like the, I like the <laughs> like clear concrete examples you gave us, you know, so Jen, what, when I go back to when I asked you, you know, what, what do the best do, right? And you, you mm-hmm. gave lots of different things. You said present minded about what they're doing. You know, they have daily positive process oriented goals, confident and effective thinking, and then they use multiple sources of confidence. Let's go back up to the first one, you know, cause mm-hmm. I think being present minded in what you're doing. Uh, so important. We know that that's an attribute of peak performance, but what do you think about like how to teach that, you know, or how might you do that there at West Point or just within your own work? Yeah, that's, that's a good one. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of uh, like relaxation strategies and meditation. 
for just having a skill set of getting into the present moment and, and really working on that. I think that we can learn a lot of awareness and ability to stay present and, and grounded by some sort of, of breathing practice. And it doesn't have to be, you know, traditional meditation. I think a lot of people get scared off by the label, but there's so many apps out there that are making it like fun, easy, and creative that can be helpful. And then in, you know, here at West Point, we have a whole host of different relaxation recordings that we share with the cadets and encourage them to use in our alpha chambers. They can walk in anytime and, and use that resource. So I encourage that as a way to just build up a foundation of, of having that ability to kind of lock into the present. And then I think also building in robust pre-performance routines and in-performance routines, like, you know, using, I, I like, I, I like the example of the R's, but I, I use that when I'm doing a long distance swim and, and my mind starts wandering or I start thinking about all the other things I need to do that day. And just having the wherewithal to recognize a skill or, you know, a, a tactical way or a symbolic way of releasing that, like whether that's clenching the fist and letting it go. And then I think that all important last component of refocusing on, okay, what I have control over right now, what don't I, and let's focus on a task relevant cue that, that brings me to the present. Mm. And what kind of um, suggestions might you give us for like a task relevant cue? It depends on the performance, you know, for, for me, for swimming, I like, you know, some very specific stroke technique. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't like focus on five or six different things because we can fall into the trap of paralysis by analysis. Yes. Um, so I'll pick one thing. And, and I often ask athletes that are in sports I'm less familiar with, like say a gymnast, okay, what's one thing that you can focus on or that you would like to focus on that's relevant to this performance. And let's say I'm working with someone whose routine is vault. And I've learned a lot from our gymnast here. I'm still kind of picking up on that sport. But from what I've learned, the way you plant your hands on the apparatus is, is all important. That sort of determines how the rest is going to go. And so we talk about, okay, just, you know, planting the hands really well. Don't worry about the rest of the vault because you've trained it. You're prepared. Your body knows what to do. We sometimes get in our own way, but if we keep it simple and just stay connected to the present moment, like having a really great breath before we begin our run and then getting, you know, great hand placement on the vault, right? That's been it real simple and, and connected to the present. Mm. You know, I'm thinking about like when I speak, <laughs> when I give mm-hmm. notes and sometimes I'm in my own head and thinking about what they're thinking about me, right? But part of mm-hmm. my performance routine is like get connected in my heart and, you know, make it about them. So I mm-hmm. think by changing your focus, kind of what you're saying with the task relevant cue can really help. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Jen, I connect your work at West Point with marathon swimming, right? And mm-hmm. I'm, one theme I'm hearing is kind of this, obviously having these mental skills and mental tools that you can use to be at your best. Tell mm-hmm. us a bit about how like fear might come in in both of those areas. Yeah, yeah. So, so fear is, at least for my experience in marathon swimming, it's been a big part of the mental game. And, uh, and I feel like I've done a lot of work on overcoming fears. Um, And that's actually really set me up quite well for um, some of the work here at West Point. Um, I'll I'll get to that. But first, I'll tell a little little story on on my relationship with fear. Mm. A lot of people, you know, the first thing they ask when I tell them I do marathon swimming, specifically, you know, I've done things like swim across the Catalina Channel. And 
I've swum between two islands in Hawaii. Those are pretty shark infested waters. The first thing they say is, well, aren't you worried about sharks? And my answer is yes. Yes, I am. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, in all seriousness, that's, that was my biggest fear. I would almost even borderline call it a phobia growing up. I, um, I used to see sharks all the time and they weren't really there. Um, you know, I used to swim over, you know, a, a dark shape that was probably kelp or a rock, you know, in Southern California. I'd, I'd assume it was a shark. I used to see a sea lion and I would think it was a shark. I used to see nothing or just a shadow and I would think it was a shark. And I really credit a lot of my work with, um, you know, Lenny Weersman can revisit Fullerton, who almost became my de facto performance psychologist. Uh, they, they helped me tremendously in this area of just understanding shark behavior and then understanding like how I balance out that fear response with some of the mental skills we've talked about today. And then I think, you know, what I've learned a lot from other people in the sport is having a plan, having something to go to specific to that fear. So, and, and this stems back to of what we, you know, what we talk about in performance psychology too, but um, I call it having like fear statements or fear rationalizations. So if and when that day comes where you do experience that fear, that thing that, that is kind of on your mind or that you're worried about, what's our plan? Um, and, and for me, it always comes back to a solid breathing strategy to get the heart rate down which is quite fun to try when you're swimming (laughs) and just cognitively restructuring or or changing the statements, changing the self-talk and having some pre-planned keywords and phrases that I say to myself. And and some of the ones that I prepared when I was really getting into the height of my training was people pay good money to see this, right? Because they do. I mean, people pay a lot of money to chum the waters and go see sharks in a shark cage. And I get to do this without any of that present. Um, and I don't have to cage the animal up to go see it either. I'm out here in its world. I'm, I'm in its world. It's allowing me to be here with it. Or I'll say, you know, you've beaten the odds for the day, right? Meaning I've already dealt with the, at the time, the freeways of Southern California and survived. So the odds are in my favor at this point. And then one of my favorites is the shark you see isn't the one you need to worry about. Uh-huh. Um, they're, they're apex predators. They attack at 40 miles an hour from below and behind. Um, you know, it's going to happen. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen. You're not going to know it's coming. So if you do happen to see a shark, um, you know, that's not the one that's interested in you. Of course, it doesn't make you feel any better if you're not with a shark. <laughs> but these are things I, yeah, these are things I came up with. And, and then one of my you know, good mentors in, in uh, the world of marathon swimming told me, make your decision on the beach. And that's really where I started thinking about the importance of weighing the risks and the benefits make your decision on the beach. Uh, and I always reflect on that before I get into a body of water that might not be like, you know, as safe as a pool. I say, is the reward of doing this swim and doing what my passion is, does that outweigh the risk? Um, you know, however minuscule that might be. And if the answer is yes, then I move forward. And if the answer is no, then, you know, of course, that's the day you don't get in. Uh, and sometimes certain things happen during a swim where you do that risk reward analysis and, and all of a sudden the agenda's changed. So if you're, let's say, with a shark, you might change the calculus there. Um, I'm so glad I worked on this because when I did, uh, it was, I think, my fourth marathon swim in Hawaii, I was swimming between the islands of Kauai and Nihau. We actually were graced with the presence of a shark um, for approximately three hours. Wow. Um, 
I was swimming tandem, so side by side with three other guys. Uh, and we had a boat, of course. You always have a, a, a safety boat. Uh, they're your escort. And then my mom was in the kayak. Uh, she does most of my kayaking for my long-distance swims. She's actually, uh, I think, more talented at her craft than I am at mine. But she's done some tremendous things kayaking for swimmers in, in a bunch of different channels. But anyways, we see this large gray shape starting to approach or come up from from the depths and in Hawaii the water's just so clear and visible you can see forever and as it comes closer and closer getting up to 20-30 feet I realize this is not just a fish <laughs> this is you know an, a 10-foot shark or so and uh, you know we had actually had a meeting to discuss what we would do because it's a pretty common occurrence seeing a shark and we decided if it was not behaving aggressively, we would continue to swim because in marathon swimming, once you put your hand on the kayak or the boat, your swim is disqualified. It's over. So you can't, you can't touch the support craft. So we stayed in. It wasn't behaving aggressively. It was just, you know, a, a bit spooky at first. And my heart rate was through the roof, like classic mm-hmm. fight or flight engagement. And I, I went back to my plan and I'm so grateful I had it, right? The shark you see isn't the one you need to worry about. Uh, people pay good money to see this. And just really trying to get back into like my typical breathing and stroke rhythm to get back to the present moment. After about 10 minutes of that, I was able to just be grateful for the experience because, man, it's something I'll never forget. Wow. That's hard to wrap your my brain around <laughs> <laughs> to be grateful so, to like swim with the shark. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was amazing, Sandra. It was it was truly one of the the most impactful spe- experiences of of my life, um, and I'll never forget that. I, I, it's I can see the image right now. You know, it's just it was so clear to me. Um, and we were just so I, I often think about it. We were so fortunate that shark was with us on and off for about three hours. It would sometimes leave and come back, and honestly, that was what was more nerve wracking. Is where is it going? But in reflecting on it. And even at times, I was—I I kept thinking, like, humans are very slow, clunky swimmers, um, even at the highest, most elite levels of sport. We're really, really terrible swimmers, if you think about, like, aquatic creatures who are so graceful and streamlined and, and hydrodynamic and meant for that environment. And, and we're really not very good. So this shark was doing the equivalent of, like, let's say, you know, after work today, you leave your office and, and you're heading out and you go across the sidewalk to get to your car and, and you see a snail on the sidewalk and you know you're towering over this snail and the snail is looking up like oh my goodness it's a human and you just decide to like cross the street with the snail for like 10 20 minutes like that's what was happening that shark had to be going so intentionally slow that you couldn't help but be grateful for the experience and this gift that was given us Wow. Well, I heard how you became grateful for it in the moment, right? Like, you know, I think it's a different thing to become grateful for it afterwards because nothing happened to you kind of physically, you know, the shark didn't attack you. But the cool thing is you were able to use your mind to train, you know, train your mind to like see and feel gratitude. And so what I'm hearing is like you had these pre-planned statements that were specific to your plan if you saw a shark, but then you got to the present moment, right? And yeah. You didn't let yourself go to the fear or the anxiety or the what ifs. Well, that's very close. I mean, I certainly went there for like the first two, three minutes. I'm yeah. not going to lie. Yeah, of course. <laughs> but, of course. Yeah, but, 
with, yeah. without the plan, I would have stayed in that space and, and it yeah. was not pretty swimming at that yeah. time. So I, you know, I think that initial activation was inevitable. And I think even to this day, I would still have that in the presence of mm. a predatory creature like that. But, but I had trained myself to like work back down from there to the point where I needed to be. Cause I mean, you know, we still had seven hours of swimming left. That was, that was too, like, just, just way too much energy to be burning um, and I couldn't have sustained that pace. Wow. Sure. So Jen, one other questions I have for you when you think about fear and, you know, survival instincts, you know, I know you said that you have done some virtual reality kind of with that and, and tell us a little bit about, you know, how that might fit in in terms of your work with cadets or you know, maybe with marathon swimmers, how might you use virtual reality to kind of, you know, train your brain mm-hmm. to, to not go to this, you know, fight or flight? Yeah. So that's been one of the coolest things, Syndra, about working here is I've really learned a lot from our population of cadets that, that struggle in the survival swimming course. Some cadets struggle because they have a really strong fear of water. They maybe haven't had the exposure uh, or the experiences that, that I've been really blessed with having, or they've had some bad experiences in the past. And then the other population that I work with with regard to that class are those that struggle with heights because there is a a six and a half meter tower entry into the water that they have to complete in full combat gear. So, you know, and some people are fortunate enough to get to learn how to deal with both of those fears. Um, <laughs> as I like to, as I like to say, it's an opportunity, but I've gotten to learn a lot and, and really kind of use what I've learned through my own experiences with fear and with swimming to, to put together what, what I think is, a good program that, that some of them say is, is helpful. So we have a mental skills workshop that we do for cadets struggling in that class. Been running that for about, this is the third semester of that right now. And for context, I started here at West Point, uh, for, this is my fourth semester here. So, so that's been really fun. I've just really gotten to learn from, from their experiences and, uh, and share what other cadets have done to be successful in that class. But, you know, while, while the fear, I think, you know, we're working on good skills and strategies to desensitize to fear a bit. We found that we're not as successful as we'd like to be with the cadets with true acrophobia or fear of heights. And while that's certainly a smaller percentage than the ones that struggle with the, the water part of the class, um, you know, we, we want to serve that cadet, that, that population of cadets that needs help. So I've really tried to get creative. And right now I've been implementing the use of virtual reality to try to aid in systematic desensitization from this fear. So we have some 360 footage of, well, let me back up a bit. We, we do like a tower training protocol where we, we step off platforms from lower heights, like the side of, and we'll actually go to the pool and, and train mental skills in this environment. And then we'll teach like pre-performance routines or breathing strategy and have the cat step off of like say a one, a one meter board or a three meter board. Uh, and work their way up. And the way we've implemented virtual reality is we have 360 footage of doing all those, that entire progression. And we do it both with instructor commands, because that's how they'll have to do it in the actual test itself. And then also without any commands so that the performance psych instructor who's in the room with them while they're doing VR can talk them through some breathing strategies and some, uh, some self-talk. And we've, we've heard that, you know, some cadets are benefiting from that. So we're seeing a little bit more success, but, but to be honest, we still have a lot of work to do in that area. 
Wow, pretty cool. Well, Jen, uh, as I wrap up the interview, there's a lot of things that stood out to me as important. So I'm just going to state them back for you, <laughs> but also okay, okay. for the listeners, because there's some really outstanding things that you talked about in this interview. I loved your story about how you got into marathon swimming and specifically, you know, this uh, refocusing routine that you use and you mentioned recognize, release, refocus. It comes from Ken Revisa, just like how you use that, which I thought was awesome. And then, you know, you talked about also what the best of the best do. And you said they have strong performance routines, present minded focus, daily positive uh, process focused oriented goals, confident and effective with their thinking. And I loved our conversation about how you know, you can have multiple diverse sources of confidence. I think that's really powerful. And then even what you were saying about offensive self-talk or defensive. Yeah, I thought that was a cool idea to think about how can you have pre-planned self-talk, right? Before, before mm-hmm. things happen or the, the negativity sets in, but then there's this defensive self-talk that you can use too. And then the last couple of things would be, you know, your recommendations on how to write our own script. So I liked that. And the, the four P's you mentioned to try to keep it present, positive, personally, meaningful, powerful, and then loved <laughs> your, your story about the, the shark um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, just what you did to, to overcome that and deal with that fear. So Jen, I'm so grateful to have you on the podcast today. Tell us how people can reach out to you if they want to learn more about your work or, you know, hire you for, for speaking or consulting. Thanks, Cinder. I appreciate it. And that's actually a great summary, better than I could have done. That's for sure. <laughs> You're a careful listener. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, so people can reach out to me um, via either one of my websites. So I have a swimming website that I'll warn you is, is in need of an update, but that's okay. There's still some stuff on there. It's jenschumacher.org. J-E-N-S-C-H-U-M-A-C-H-E-R.org. And then uh, my consulting website is jenschumacher.com. And certainly, and people can reach out either way. I I check both emails quite regularly. And I I believe my phone number is even on the the .com website. So if people want to get in touch, um, they're more than welcome to do so. Um, And I can certainly send over my West Point contact information too, if if people are looking to hear more about um, about what we do here at at the Center for Enhanced Performance. Okay, that sounds awesome. And are you on social media anywhere that we can follow you there? Um, yes, I am. I'm, I'm on Instagram. I'm, I'm Jen Schumacher on Instagram. Uh, I'm on Twitter as Channel Swim Jen. Um, I, although I am trying to, you know, spend less and less time on those platforms. Um, they, you know, I can still be found. <laughs> <laughs> Love it, Jen. Thank you so much yeah. for your time and energy today. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks, Sandra. It was really, really awesome getting to talk with you and and I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to High Performance Mindset. If you like today's podcast, make a comment, share it with a friend and join the conversation on Twitter at mentally underscore strong. For more inspiration and to receive Sandra's free weekly videos, check out drsandra.com.